Fairness Church, great to see all of you here today. Welcome. I am Len, and I am one of the pastors, as I said before. So glad that I get to share with you today, and welcome to 40 Days in the Word. We're just starting. Yes, there we go. Hoop and holler. Uh, We're just starting this, and so if you are visiting or new to the church, it's not too late for you to track with us. You are not behind the gun, so thank you for being here right here at the very beginning of it. We have 35 life groups that formed with over 290 adults involved, and children and youth are also doing uh, their versions of this event as well. But why? Why are we doing this? Because the Bible is so much more than the best-selling book filled with stories of action, chase scenes, romance, epic battles, lust, and betrayal. It's also so much more than a book filled with poetry and fascinating prophecies and great wisdom. We have come to understand it and call it the very Word of God. And God has revealed himself in and through the Bible for generations. And today we're going to look at some of the reasons why we can, in fact, trust the Bible to be exactly what it says it is. Now, the heart of what's happening with our 40 Days in the Word uh, time is what's going on in our life groups. And we're looking at some material uh, to teach you in your groups about how to unlock the Word of God for yourself so that you're not dependent upon me or Paul or anybody else. So you're not having to say, well, that's just your interpretation. Instead, you can learn to interpret the Bible, uh, the Word of God for yourself, and how to feed yourself from the Bible. So obviously, obviously, you're going to want to be in a life group, right? And so right after service, you just make your way to the Welcome Center. We'd love to, to get you into one and, and, uh, and do that. And I'll talk more about that as the morning goes on here. The Bible is the most read book, the best-selling book in all of history. But why is it the Word of God? How do we know that it's the Word of God? We're going to look at that this morning. And so 2 Timothy in the Bible says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we're going to look at that verse again next week, but I want you to look at that phrase that starts this, all scripture is God-breathed. And that word in the original language in the Greek means, it says theonoustos, which means theo, being God, and noustos, meaning breathed. And the Bible is God-breathed. But what does that mean? Some translations use the word inspired, But we're not just talking about God being someone's muse, and so they just felt good and kind of wrote down some things like that. Everything in the Bible is God-breathed. He's breathing his word into the various writers. It's not just a good idea. It's God's word to us. And Psalm 119 tells us that all of God's commands, all of your commands, God, can be trusted. Everything in the Bible can be trusted as true because it comes from God. Okay, so the Bible claims it's the word of God and can be trusted, but how do I really know that? How do I know that it is the very word of God and that it's not just a bunch of fables or stories that are kind of slapped together and somebody decided to add, oh, and by the way, this is all true and can be trusted. How do I know that it can be trusted? That is a real and valid and legitimate question that we need to ask before we start studying the Bible. How can I know I can trust this? 
And so I hope today that if you have been confused or even skeptical about the Bible, that this will settle that issue for you. Because there are incredible proofs and evidences and facts that you need to know that will help you make up your mind. So that you're not making up your mind based on what you kind of think uh, you hear from various conversations and what other people say, but actually what the Bible claims for itself and what history and science and all these other things teach us about the Bible. And there are seven reasons that we're going to look at this morning that will help us to understand uh, that this is a reliable and accurate source, that it is God's word. And the first is, is that it's historically accurate. It's not just doctrinally correct or accurate regarding morals or ethics. It's true history. Real people, real places, in real time. But why is that even important? It's important because so many of the miracles are actually based in historical events. And if it's flawed, if the history is flawed, the truth around the history is flawed as well. If this book has even one lie in it, it's not a trustworthy book. But Psalm 33.4 says, The word of the Lord is right and true. It's not right only about salvation and morals and ethics. It's right about history as well. And so how do we know that the Bible is historically accurate? By the same way you would know any other history is accurate. You go by the tests of good history. For instance, one of the ways you test good history is, is it from eyewitness accounts? Is it written down by somebody who actually saw it or reported it directly from the source? Or is it a legend that's been written down a, you know, a few hundred years later? The Bible is primarily eyewitness accounts. That's why it's good history. Moses was there when the Red Sea was split. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell. The disciples of Jesus sat in the upper room and saw the resurrected Jesus appear, and they recorded what happened. Matthew and John were there, and they wrote that down in their Gospels. Peter was there, and he told a guy by the name of Mark who wrote it down in the Gospel of Mark. And Luke, he talked to all of them, including Jesus' mother, and heard about what had happened. And so it's eyewitness accounts of what took place. The other test of history by which we know that the Bible is accurate is the extreme care with which the Bible was copied. You may have heard people say, oh, I'm sure it was right when it was first written, but you know, it's been passed down from generation to generation, and I'm sure it's changed over time. It's not, you know, really accurate anymore. You ever hear that? You ever, you ever maybe even find yourself saying that? It's just not true. When you look at how the process of transmission and copying of the scrolls took place, you find out that they were extremely rigid and careful about how they dealt with what they thought was God's word and how they copied it. The scribes, they would, they would copy these scrolls from one to another, and they had this long list of rules of how they had to go by and make sure that it was exact. They copied letter by letter, not even word by word, letter by letter. You know on your cell phone when you're texting and it's got that autocorrect or predictive text, you know, and all of a sudden this, you start a word and a different word goes down and you send it and you're all embarrassed later? Well, they wanted to make sure that that didn't happen when they were copying the scrolls. They didn't want to assume that the next word was. So they copied letter 
by letter. And so much so that they even knew how many of each letter was in the particular passage or book that they were copying. So, for example, the letter A, let's say there were 1,653 A's in this particular part of the book that they were copying. If when they were done, they counted it and it was 1,654, if they were off what they knew what it was, they would throw the entire scroll away. They were very strict on how they copied the Word of God. And this was validated uh, with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which you've probably heard about. They were discovered in the late 40s, uh, 1940s. And prior to this discovery, the oldest manuscripts that we had of the Old Testament were from about 900 years after Christ had lived. And uh, because, you know, they're written on papyrus and things that, that don't last over time, and so those were the earliest transcripts we had. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they were found, they were written about 100 years before Christ. And so we have this 1,000-year gap. What a wonderful opportunity to go back and look at these scrolls 1,000 years earlier to see how accurate our most recent scrolls and texts of the Bible were. And they found them to be faithfully copied and accurate over the 1,000-year span. Another proof is archaeology. And you look at archaeology and it proves again and again that the places in the Bible are real. They're not fiction. That these people are real. And you can go and find these places and see where these people lived. And over the centuries, records of civilizations and peoples that the Bible mentioned have been lost from other sources because other sources were not copied as faithfully or even at all like the Bible had been. And so it grew over time. Well, our only source of this history or this person or this civilization is the Bible. And so people began to think, well, maybe the Bible wasn't true because it wasn't written anywhere else. But discoveries were, were found in archaeology to prove that the Bible was accurate. For instance, historians didn't even believe that King Solomon had ever existed, and certainly not with all the horses that are claimed uh, in the Bible that he was to have had. And so it was thought, well, you know, they only had camels back then, so they didn't have the horses. So, you know, the Bible's just making that up. It, it can't be trusted. Until they discovered Solomon's chariot cities with thousands of stables where he kept his horses. One of the greatest examples of this is, is regarding an empire uh, called the Hittite Empire. And there's this whole empire that's talked about in the Bible. If you've read it, you've probably seen about the Hittites. But it's not mentioned anywhere else in historical documents. There is no source anywhere outside of the Bible. And so historians over the centuries thought, well, the Bible, again, just made that up. But in the early 1900s, a discovery was made of over 10,000 clay tablets in what was known then as the capital city of the Hittite Empire. And now everybody believes that the Hittite Empire existed. So not only is the Bible historically accurate, proven by archaeology and good test of history, but it also, we'll look at the next point, is, is that it's scientifically accurate. And, and th honestly, this is kind of a hot-button issue because for centuries, Christians have felt rightly so that a large segment of the scientific world was seeking to debunk faith and faith principles, saying that, oh, they're just myths and they're not, they're not supported by the truth of science. And in reaction, many believers over the years have begun to use the Bible in ways that it was never meant to be used in order to prove scientific principles. But the Bible and science can work together. 
In fact, from the Bible's point of view, it is God who set the natural world in order. He's the one who established creation. And so therefore, science should be able to coincide and work with the Bible. They should go hand in hand. The Bible, however, was not given as a scientific document. It's not a textbook of science. You don't open the Bible and study it to learn how to build a rocket, for example, right? The Bible doesn't use scientific language because it's not intended to be a science manual. But conversely, the Bible never, never gives bad science. In fact, it was often ahead of science. There are things in the Bible that humankind only discovered years after it was written in the Bible. Johannes Kepler, the famous mathematician and astronomer, said, science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. In other words, God has established the laws of physics, and mankind has since discovered them. God established the laws of biology, and we discover them. God established the laws of mathematics, and we have discovered them. But, but here's something to consider this morning. While God's laws of nature don't change, science constantly changes. And that's okay, it should, because we're constantly learning more and more. Our finite minds can only handle so much, and we're picking it up and discovering things as time goes on. But if, if, man, if the Bible was written merely by man's words, then you would expect that the science of the day, the prevailing views of scientific theories and, and understanding, would be in the Bible when it was written thousands of years ago. But that's not the case. There isn't the science of the day in the Bible. Instead, for instance, thousands of years, people believed that the earth was flat. But the Bible says, God says in the book of Isaiah, God is enthroned above the sphere of the earth. 2,600 years ago, the Bible says the earth is round, long before any of us believed it. For years, scientists believed in a finite number of stars. 150 years before Christ, a man named Hipparchus counted them, believe it or not, and declared that there were 1,022 stars in the sky. And for 300 years, that was the prevailing science. That's what was believed to be the case. Until a man named Ptolemy came around, and he counted again, and he came up with 1,026 stars. He found four more. But 2,600 years before that, God writes through Jeremiah, the number of stars are infinite. Now let's look at medicine. For many years, pe people believed that too much blood in your body was, would make you sick. And it was the accepted custom and, and practice to do what is called bloodletting. And that lasted, you know, until just a, a couple hundred years ago. Nobody believes that anymore. But for 2,000 years, that was the scientific practice. But the Bible knew otherwise. In Leviticus 17, thousands of years ago, God says this, the life of every creature is in its blood. Another example is during the Middle Ages with the bubonic plague that killed one-fourth of Europe at the time. We didn't understand as humans germs and contagions and infections. and We didn't understand quarantining people. So contagious people were sleeping right next to healthy people. And the, and the people just kept dying. And we haven't learned a whole lot much since then because we're still flying in airplanes, right? We just pack everybody in there together. But, but this idea of the contagions, it just took place and, and it, it became an epidemic and then a pandemic and it was just tragic. 
But over a thousand years before the bubonic plague, God had said in Leviticus 13, put an infected person in quarantine for seven days. God was saying, here's how you take care of people who are infected with illness. Nobody understood quarantine. Nobody understood germs. But God understood it, and he gave instructions. Now, again, the intention of the Bible is not to teach science. That's not its purpose. It uses theological language and poetic language and prophetic language, generally not scientific language. But it doesn't contradict science either when it speaks to the natural order of things. And so the Bible, we can say, is scientifically accurate. We can also trust the Bible because it's prophetically accurate. Now, what does that mean? It means that all the predictions in the Bible, they always come true. The Bible is filled with literally thousands of prophecies where God says, this is going to happen at this time in such and such a way. And and over all the century, thousands of these prophecies have already been fulfilled. And every one of them, exactly as God said. Some of them are still yet to be fulfilled. If you read like Revelation, for example, we know that there are some prophecies that are still in our future. But many, many have already happened exactly as the Bible teaches. And specifically, there are over 300 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus alone. And up to a 1,000 years before he was born, they were written by multiple authors. 300 prophecies said things like, this is when he'll be born, this is where he'll be born, this is how he'll be born. And that's something you can't control if you're the Messiah. You can't choose where and how you're going to be born, right? But even then, prophecies continue about his life and how he'll die and the manner he'll die and what he'll die from, over 300 prophecies. Honestly, it takes more faith to believe that it was all a coincidence than it takes to believe that God planned it. It takes enormous faith to believe that it's just random and that it all just happened. Instead, the Bible says in 2 Peter, no prophecy ever originated from humans. Instead, it was given by the Holy Spirit as humans spoke under God's direction. The Bible is prophetically accurate. And all the odds of these prophecies happening just the way they did over the thousands of years are astronomical. Now, the fourth reason that I know that the Bible is trustworthy is that it's thematically unified. And what do I mean by that? I mean that it has the same theme through the entire book from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible is a collection of 66 books written over a 1,600-year span of time by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages, and they didn't know about each other. How do you think they all got the same story? It wasn't even collected, the Old Testament wasn't even collected into one book until after a 1,000 years after the last authors died. How do you think that they all knew that? How'd they come up with the same theme? And it has the same theme of redemption from cover to cover. You couldn't get a more diverse group, fishermen, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, over a period of over 2,000 years coming up with the same story. And yet Jesus says in Luke 24, beginning with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Did you get that? Jesus is talking about the Old Testament at the time. We usually think of the New Testament as being the only place where Jesus is talked about. 
But Jesus says that the Old Testament, he went through all the scriptures and showed them where he was talked about and mentioned and as part of the story. The story is about the Bible. The story of the Bible is about Jesus from beginning to end. The pictures, the metaphors, the the analogies, the allusions, everything in Scripture from beginning to end is God's plan to redeem people and set up a family that will last for eternity. It all began with Jesus. Jesus is the star of the story, and you can see him in every book. In fact, John 5, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you believe they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. So while we're talking about Jesus, let's look at the fifth way that we can know we can trust the Bible is the word of God. And that is, I can trust the Bible because it's confirmed by Jesus. Jesus trusted the Bible. And there are some who think that the red letters, the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus are all that can be trusted. That everybody and everything else in the Bible is just a little bit less reliable. But here's the challenge to that. Jesus trusted the rest of the Bible. Matthew 5.18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus looks at the Bible and says, it's going to last until the end of time. It's going to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in this world. And so when Jesus talks to the Bible, he doesn't just talk about poetry and history. He talks about it as something as life-changing. Luke uh, 11, Jesus said this, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. To do it, not just read it like poetry or inspirational wisdom, but obey it because God wrote it for our lives. What happens a lot today is people look at the Bible and they go, well, I'm going to trust that part. Uh, You know, but that part, eh, I don't like that. Or, you know, I really, really like this part. I'm going to accept that. But, you know, that part, not so much. Not a fan. You know? And and so it, it just, that's what we get caught up doing. But Augustine, an early church father, wrote this. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe but yourself. And I don't know about you, but I found that my emotions and my opinions, they're just not always trustworthy. But I do trust Jesus. And he trusted the Bible. And that's one of the main reasons I trust the Bible. Now the sixth reason that you can trust the Bible as the authoritative word of God for our lives is that it has survived all attacks. The Bible is the most despised, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed. We thought I was going to do a D word there, huh? Outlawed uh, and banned book ever in history. Millions of people have died because they refused to give up their Bibles. People were killed because it was illegal to even have one. And it's still illegal or severely limited in distribution and access in many countries today. The Bible has been under attack for century after century by everything that you can imagine. Yet it is still the most read, the most published, and the most translated book in the world today. Man's wisdom and man's words, they go in and out of fashion, and they get forgotten. 
but the Bible has outlasted all the attacks and is still the best-selling book in the world. Why? Because it makes a difference in people's lives. And that's exactly why it gets attacked. Which brings us to the seventh reason why the Bible is trustworthy. And this one, I think, is probably the dearest to, to most of us. And that is, is because it has transforming power. Nothing can change the lives of people like the God revealed in the Bible. I've seen alcoholics and addicts get their life clean and sober because they meet Jesus when they start reading the Bible. I've seen the most self-centered, narcissistic people who think only of themselves. They begin to read the Bible and have their lives transformed and they begin to purpose to serve others. Now, if I thought I could change human behavior, I would have become a politician. But I have zero faith that laws can actually change the greatest, planet, or the greatest problems on our planet. All the laws in the world aren't going to change the human heart. And so many laws have been made to outlaw racism and bigotry, for example. But no law is going to turn a bigot into a lover of other people. God's got to do that. God's got to change the heart. And I've invested my life in the heart-changing business. And I've seen it happen because of the Bible. It changes people you would never imagine could be changed. And Jesus says it like this in John, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But it's not just any truth that sets you free. We quote that last half of that verse. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's transcribed on university buildings. It's quoted all the time. But it's not just truth that sets us free. It's truth from God's word. That's what sets people free. And this book never lies to you. And even when I don't like what it says, even when I disagree with it, even when it hurts, even when it's uncomfortable, it always tells me the truth, and it offers me transformation. So, okay, as we kind of wrap this up, perhaps for some of you, you're like, well, you know, to hear about archaeology, you know, that's not necessarily so inspirational. Others, you kind of really get into that. But, but what I want to say to you this morning is that the most inspiring message, the most inspiring part of the Bible can only come out and be involved in your life and transform your life when you trust it. If you don't believe God's promises, then they don't have any say in your life. You can't claim them and hold on to them and, and put your, your faith in them until you settle the trustworthiness of the Bible as being authoritative and accurate and real for you. And so the most important question you're going to ask yourself in life is what's going to be the final authority for my life? Is it going to be the word or the world? Is it going to be um, listening to God's truth and what he says is true? Or am I going to listen to public opinion or my set of feelings or a phrase that we're hearing more and more, my truth and your truth? What's my truth? Well, you know what? My truth is not as trustworthy as God's truth. Am I going to make his truth the authority for my life? Because when I say I don't really accept this book, accept the Bible, it's not that I can't accept it, it's that I don't want to. 
And the reason I don't want to accept it in my life as the authority is because I want to be the boss. I, I want to be God of my own life, and I don't want God telling me what is moral and immoral or right or wrong. I want to do it my way. But how's that working for you? Right? Is that solving all your problems? Has your stress and worry and irritations vanished because you're God and leader of your own life? Everything turning out the way you want? So the big question again comes back to, what is going to be the authority of my life? And why is the trustworthiness of of God's word, the Bible, so important? Because friends, if this book isn't true, then we're in a heap of trouble because our salvation depends on what it says in the Bible. This is the book that tells you that your life is not an accident. Science can't tell you that. This is the book that says God made you to love you. Philosophy doesn't tell you that you have a purpose, but the Bible does. This is the book that says your past can be forgiven, that you can have a purpose for living, and you can have a home in heaven. This is the book that says no matter what problem you go through, God can use it for good in your life. This is the book that says you have a reason for hope. The Bible says in Romans 12, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You're either conforming to the way of the world, what the world thinks, or you are being transformed by the truth, a truth that you can test and know and trust. God's plan for your life is good. God's plan for your life is pleasing. God's plan for your life is perfect. But the only way that you're going to know it is through the trustworthy word of God. And so I want for you this morning, if you haven't already, to settle this issue. I invite you and encourage you to accept the Bible as the final authority for your life. Because if you don't, then you're basically making up your own opinions and just kind of haphazardly going along your way. But again, how's that working for you? We need to have a source of truth that guides us in our life. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up and in your program if you haven't already discovered that there was a set of notes inserted in there, on the back side of those notes um, is a prayer that I would like for you to consider praying. And as I say it out loud, just say it in your head, your heart, if this is a prayer that you could align your heart to. But it's a prayer about yielding our lives to the authority of God's word. So let's pray together. Dear God, from this day forward, I will accept the Bible as your trustworthy word to me. I will make it the final authority for my life, not what culture says, not what I feel like doing or what I think sounds best. I'm going to make the Bible the final authority for my life, even when I don't understand it, even when it's not popular, even when it's not easy, or even when I don't like it. You are God, and I'm not. Thank you, God, for loving me enough to speak to me through your word. Thank you that you were not silent, that you wanted me in your family, and you wanted me to know you, and that you made me for a purpose. I want to love your word. 
I want to learn your word, and I want to live your word. Use these 40 days in my life to set me on the right path. In your name I pray. Amen. Now do you see why we're doing the 40 days in the word? The Bible, we believe, is the sole source of how we should live our lives. The Bible guides us into understanding truth, how we make our decisions, how we serve other people, how we find forgiveness from sin. And so we want people to truly understand and engage with God through his word. And so if you're not in a group, after this song is over, I just encourage you to run to the Welcome Center and sign up in a group. It's not too late. We'd love to get you in one, and so please do that. But if you already are in a group, fantastic. I applaud you for doing that. But please, prioritize being there faithfully every single week. I know our lives get busy. That's a topic for another message. I know that our lives get busy, and we can miss uh, occasionally from time to time. But for this six weeks in particular, if you would prioritize your time growing in community with other people, learning to really draw from the Bible, that will set you on a, a course that will change the rest of your life. And so I encourage you to be as faithful as you can be to your group. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's go ahead and end with this one final song. Thank you. Why don't you guys go ahead and have a stand? <laughs>